0: Hello my friends and welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. You may have noticed that the usual intro is not on the podcast today. Uh, That is because my computer that had all my files on it is no more. It has bit the dust. It is gone. Uh, I do have files on a hard drive but I have yet to get a new computer so I'm piecing things together from my podcast. And this week I'm going to be sharing an episode of another podcast with you on this show that I was the guest on, Things Not Seen. of Chicago. It's a wonderful radio show and I highly recommend it to you. Uh, David Dalt, the host, is one of the best podcast hosts around. Uh, does a great job. A lot of the shows are airing on public radio in different places across the country. And I am honored to be on that show talking about my new album, my time as a minister in the Church of the Nazarene, and just uh, a lot about who I am. And so, uh, I hope you'll enjoy this episode. If you didn't have a chance to hear it yet, it's, uh, it's the episode of Things Not Seen, 1605, where I was, uh, the guest and the host was david dalt and we're talking about hymns prayers and invitations thank you for listening to voices in my head i hope to have a new way to bring you new podcasts very soon until then i will keep piecing together things as i can and bring you as good of a podcast as possible under the current circumstances god bless you and thank you for listening to voices in my head
1: From PRX, the public radio exchange in the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we speak to singer, songwriter, music publisher, and podcaster Rick Lee James about his work and his new album hymns prayers and invitations we talk to james about his calling as a minister and a musician and we talk about how theology relates to the music and the words of our favorite hymns stay tuned This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a professional singer, songwriter, speaker, and worship leader. He's the host of Voices in My Head podcast, and on that podcast he's had on artists such as Jason Gray, Andrew Peterson, Walter Brueggemann, All Sons and Daughters, Sarah Groves, Michael Card, and many more. Uh, Rick Lee James has also been a contributor to Worship Leader magazine and has had a number of songs published by Lifeway Worship, including I Lift Up My Eyes and Advent Hymn. And part of what we're discussing today is his new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. Rick Lee James, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you. In preparation for the interview, you mentioned that you have a background as a Nazarene, and I... I'm aware that some of our listeners are not going to have any idea what that means. So why don't you start off and kind of tell us what does it mean to say that you're a member of the Church of the Nazarene and and what does that tell us about your beliefs?
0: Sure. Well, I have been a member of the Church of the Nazarene since before I can remember anything, actually. My parents uh, have been members and my dad is a pastor, so my entire life I've grown up in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, the Nazarene Church is really – it comes from sort of a blend of the American holiness movement and Methodism, and it's a, an interesting combination of the way they've joined together. So because of that, there's a lot of a lot of Methodism still in us. We've, we're very uh, strong on Wesley. We love John Wesley and the hymns of Charles Wesley and people like that, and some of Charles Wesley's hymns actually made it on this new album, which I'm excited about. Um, But we also have sort of another name many of your listeners probably don't know, the influence of people like Phoebe Palmer, who were much more uh, charismatic in their beliefs, I would say. And so it's an interesting thing to see how our church is evolving because we're only about 100 years old right now. And uh, we have an older generation that I think feels one way and is very suspicious of liturgy and a lot of tradition like that unless it came from the American Holiness Fruits. And then we have people who are more on the younger side like me that feel very much at home with a liturgical, you know, sacramental sort of faith. And so it's, it's an interesting blend. So right now if you ask the church, you know, what does it mean to be in the Church of the Nazarene? Sort of like depends on who you ask, I think. Hopefully they would say we are people that love Jesus and uh, that we want to serve him and uh, are passionate about holiness and what that means and, and are still working, I think, as a denomination on what that means to be people who uh, seek after the holiness of God.
1: Now, you are a, a worship leader and you're a music minister, mm-hmm. uh, which means at some point you made a decision and you said to yourself not going to be a doctor a lawyer or an indian chief i'm going to i'm instead going to go into the ministry and i wonder if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to sort of talk through not only the decision to go into the ministry but the music ministry because some of our listeners might right. have that same kind of bug in them and wanna to, wanna to think about what it was like to make that decision
0: well all the options for being a superhero were taken so i suppose i had to go one way or the other i i feel like it it's something that chose me more than what i chose to be honest Um, when i was in high school That's when I started really learning to play guitar, and I I really – honestly, I don't think I was very good at much of anything. I probably still am not much good at anything other than music (laughs) in my life, and it may be debatable by some people that I'm good at that. Um, But I really wanted to do nothing more than be like the best guitar player that I could be. I was really into country music at the time, so Vince Gill was like my hero, you know, and so I would try to play music like him. And when I was in high school, I began sensing that I had a calling to go into the ministry. And at that time, it wasn't like we do today in a lot of evangelical churches. The only type ministry position I could see was senior pastor you know, of a church, and I did not want that. And I resisted it, and I fought it. And I remember surrendering to that call in high school in a church service on a Sunday night in a little country church in Dixon, Tennessee. I remember that being a surrender moment to God saying, okay, Lord, if you never want me to pick up the guitar again, I'll put it down. I, I sense that you're calling me. I don't want to do this. I don't even like to read uh, unless it's a comic book or something like that, as my parents will tell you, much to their frustration over the, the early years, I'm sure. Uh, but it was in that moment I, I, I sensed God speaking to me over the next several years as I started college that it wasn't so much that I needed to to give up music; it was more of a surrender thing that I needed to submit to Him and go wherever He took me. And it seems like in some form or whatever, I've never said I'm just going to do music because I've been a, a youth pastor. I've I've done a lot of different things, kind of in ministry, but it seems like music's what I keep coming back to, and and it seems to be where God is. Has used me the most, so um, and I'm very happy to do it. I love music.
1: Well, you mentioned a moment ago that the Wesleyan tradition is very into hymn singing, and I, I'm I'm curious, as you were growing up and as you were discerning this sense of call, uh, was there a, a specific moment uh, in in hearing a piece of music that helped you to solidify that you were going to be uh, doing music as part of your ministry, or was it just a long sweep?
0: You know, that was the the struggle with me because. I probably wasn't real big on the hymns, and I wasn't real big on contemporary music. I honestly, I didn't, I didn't like Christian music. And if you would have told me at that time that I was going to be a contemporary Christian music singer one day, I would have said, "There's, I'd rather be dead. There's no way I'm going to sing that corny stuff." Uh, and then that was an unfair judgment of me. I think is actually music production progressed and got a lot better, and um, people like. Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, I started hearing like like wow, this guy can play guitar like you would not believe. I mean, he's up there with some of the greats playing and it was sort of like music brought me back around to theology because I started college and I went from being a music major to being a theology major realizing that I didn't have a lot of knowledge about really the Bible or theology or anything and I wanted to write solid lyrics and so I, I felt like I had the musical chops that I was ready. I came to appreciate more things like the hymns of the church the more that I went deeper into studying theology and uh, many different aspects. And so now I can say that hymns are, are some of the most important songs to me of the faith because really they're – I mean they're poetic sermons put to music, and it's it's really something that I think we need to try to recapture Something beautiful that I love about the hymns and I, I've discovered and I don't think a lot of people knew was they didn't really have music, most of them to start out with. They were <laughs> poems. And sometimes if you look at a hymnal, the music came 100, 200 years later. Um, so they literally were taking like these these poetic theological statements about the church and were putting them in a certain meter. You can flip through a hymnal and find five different songs to the same hymn tune or vice versa in the other way. And they're actually – hymns are designed to have their music tweaked. I mean they're really designed to be made into something modern and more palatable for the ears. And in the case of someone like Isaac Watts who when he was writing – You know, he was almost uh, kicked out of the church for writing hymns because they were too modern. And uh, it's very interesting to hear that in today's culture where, you know, we would think, oh, the hymns are so old. Why? How could you ever sing those? And it was just the opposite whenever they were being written. So.
1: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a professional singer and songwriter, and he's also the host of the Voices in My Head podcast. He's just released an album called Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. We'll talk more about that album and his podcast as the show progresses. Well, I wasn't raised in the church, but my, my wife was, and she talks sometimes about praise music, and she calls it 711 music, seven <laughs> seven words sung 11 times right. over and over. But you draw a contrast to that with kind of the, the legacy that we get from the Wesleys. You almost said that they really taught us theology through the singing.
0: Yeah, that, I truly believe that's what Charles was trying to do. I mean, uh, And Can It Be, which I've always wanted to record. I was so glad to record on this new album. And people like him th- that wrote thousands of hymns, and if you read them, I mean, some of them are just incredibly deep with theology and, and rich and... um they they obviously were people who spent a lot of time studying and thinking and having conversations together.
1: Well, let's take a moment and listen to just a little bit of And Can It Be. This is written by Charles Wesley, and it's on the new album from Rick Lee James called Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. <laughs> Was a selection from the new album by our guest rickley james hymns prayers and invitations that was the charles wesley song and can it be that has been uh rendered into contemporary music by by rickley james and you said something earlier in the conversation that i think speaks to what we just heard and that is you said that the hymns are crying out for modern and revised interpretations
0: mm-hmm. and for new music could you mm-hmm. say more about that yeah, um, I really think that that's actually one of the battles that I've found as a music pastor I seem to have a lot. And I try not to have battles, but it seems like in uh, evangelical churches especially because hymn music is a very sacred thing. And at times I think that people have believed that the tune itself is the thing that's sacred much more than the lyrics that are there. So a lot of my quest now as a music pastor that I'm finding, um, I th- I think, where a lot of my gifting is. Half of this album is hymns that I have rearranged and, and kind of modernized. The other half are original songs, um, but they're sort of in the category I would consider to be something very hymn-like. I think it's a really helpful thing to go in with that meter in mind and say, is there a different way I can interpret the music for this? But not lose the rich content that we have. I feel like hymns were intended to have the music changed, and and they're very, uh, they're very versatile in that. What's interesting is is most hymns to most people who love them are the least versatile thing because you you change that tune and that melody's not right, and it's and I don't know maybe the Holy Spirit sometimes does blend the melody with the lyrics, uh, but there are a lot of hymns that I think. Just by a, a few tweaks here and there musically, you can make them much more palatable to modern ears, and that we're actually able to start singing along and singing with them. Whereas, um, I think some of the hymns they just are hard to sing to uh, to younger ears. That they, they a lot of times older ears have trouble picking out newer melodies. And younger ears have trouble picking out the older melodies. And if you're in a church like I am, you've got both there. And so the challenge is to try to get something we can all sing together and, uh, and hopefully we'll be rich and deep and, and theologically sound.
1: This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a professional singer, songwriter, and podcast host. He's the host of the Voices in My Head podcast. We'll be back in a moment. Hey there, listeners. I want to take a moment and tell you about our partner for producing this show, the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. It sounds like an old-timey name, and that's because it's an old-timey organization. They got started in 1908 doing live events here in the Chicago downtown area. In the 1920s, they went coast-to-coast on the radio, and in the 1950s, they started out as one of the first religious television programs anywhere ever. And they're still doing radio and television. In addition to co-producing this program, the Sunday Evening Club makes regular hour-long documentaries for PBS that focus on issues like violence, immigration reform, health care, and more, highlighting the good work being done by faith communities as they try to make these situations better for the people of Chicago. You can find out more about the Sunday Evening Club and watch and listen to all the programs they've been producing for more than 70 years at their website, csec.org. That's C-S-E-C. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with singer, songwriter, and podcast host Rick Lee James. We're discussing his new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, and his podcast, Voices in My Head. A moment ago, you said something that I want to circle back to. You said that contemporary Christian music, when you were thinking about the possibility of playing it, your, your gut reaction was, I don't want to play that corny stuff. <laughs> and I've, I've been there. No. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as a genre, how do you think of your contemporary songwriting, the songwriting that you're doing now, how do you think of that in terms of co- the contemporary Christian genre? But also, how do you think of the contemporary Christian genre? Like, how do we define the the barriers between that and pop music and other types of music?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's rather hard to define now because uh, music has changed so much, and I think everybody that's in the industry has sort of been scrambling a little bit with the dawn of digital music over the last you know decade or so, and trying to figure out what they're doing, but what the digital age has brought us is incredible production values and so we've not for the first time probably but in a, on a mass scale we have contemporary christian music that equals the production quality uh like by and large it's very seldom that you see an artist that is not like comparable audio wise to what you could hear on a secular station in fact i think People at times do confuse it and they think, oh, well, I didn't know I was listening to a Christian station if they're flipping through a dial on the radio or something. So I think that contemporary music itself has evolved and production-wise has gotten a lot better uh, than what I was used to in high school. Um, The thing that I think maybe there's a little bit too much of now uh, is – what a lot of us call Jesus is my boyfriend lyrics where it's sort of like you could just interchange the lyrics with whatever love song and just put Jesus in there or God or the Holy Spirit. And and now you've got a Christian worship song. (laughs) And uh, so I I think there's a real push and a real need uh, for us to somehow recapture music now that we're making such good quality music. And something that is catching to the ears, I think it's um, a very important thing that we try to figure out how to use our songs to actually begin teaching people again, like what we believe as as a church. Because um, as I tell pastors often, I say, you can be the greatest preacher in the world, and, and that's fantastic, and people will get a lot from your messages, but they won't leave humming your sermon Um, they will hopefully leave with the songs in mind. And as songwriters, we literally get to put words in the mouths of people. So I would just like us to put words that matter into people's mouths, and hopefully we're seeing a push. I think we are in the contemporary Christian music business. I think there's a lot of people that are striving for that, and and I, I do see a lot of good coming out of it, maybe more than ever. Before
1: the break, you said that uh, you didn't necessarily like the the hymns that you grew up with and the contemporary, the contemporary Christian music that you grew up with, but you, you said that you, you had a, a lot of time tapping your toe to Vince Gill. <laughs> were there other musicians that when you were growing up were influences on you?
0: Uh, well, when I was in high school especially, I lived in Dixon, Tennessee, which is about 40 minutes from Nashville by Interstate. So there was a lot of country music influence on me at that time. So anybody – it was sort of anybody that could play guitar really well was my hero. So Ricky Skaggs, uh, Vince Gill, Steve Warner at that time, they were all uh, huge influences on me. But then on the rock side of things, uh, I, I became introduced by my guitar teacher to Jimi Hendrix. And um, in, in the Nazarene pastor's home, we didn't listen to a lot of Hendrix uh, at the time. And it caused a little bit of uh, concern, I think, on the part of my mother when I started listening to people like Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or some of the blues greats. And uh, even around that time, you know, probably a little bit of Nirvana mixed in, you know, stuff like that. that um, I just started finding my musical horizons expanding. Uh, in recent years, you know, I've I've become a huge fan of people like Bruce Springsteen and people that are great storytellers. Um, you know, Andrew Peterson is my um, my modern day hero as far as the lyrics. Um, and I I don't know, there's just a, a lot of people who have influenced me over the years. And it kind of depends on the day if you ask me. You know, who I'm into.
1: I grew up uh, not just in the Bible Belt, but where I, where I grew up, I like to call the rust on the buckle of the Bible Belt. And when I was growing up, you would hear phrases like, dance and feet and prayerful knees are not in the same body. And we, <laughs> wow. we had a, a, a fire and brimstone preacher come through by the name of Marty Tinglehoff who preached a series of lectures on the horrors of rock and roll music. <laughs> As a, I didn't grow up evangelical, but but growing up in in South Georgia and South Alabama, you just couldn't avoid it. Mm-hmm. But you grew up evangelical. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that was your background, your pedigree. So you just mentioned even Nirvana, but also Springsteen. What was it like trying to balance being excited by these influences in a situation where I'm sure you were getting a lot of pressure to not pay attention to those sorts of influences? Yeah.
0: Well, I I had a. A CD and tape burning one night after a revival service. I still regret that is one of my biggest things in life because I'm I'm kind of of the mind now that Satan's only spittoon is the spittoon, uh, but at the same time I, I understand where my my leanings were at that time as an impressionable teenager and I I felt like it, I still remember being around that trash barrel and throwing my CDs in and. Like, I, like, well, I wish I had those back. I don't know that that was, <laughs> I don't know that that was even healthy to think in those ways, um, and so trying to figure out who I was musically has been a long journey. Anyway, um, I've, I've, if you go to some of my early recordings, I think I was one of the biggest writer of corny Christian songs that you could find because I think I was trying to to ride that line and being in the South, like, dude, I want to lean. A little more southern gospelish, and sometimes you can kind of put a, a jokey type, you know, spin on a song. And, um, but then again, I want to be modern and relevant. And, and so a lot of my earlier strivings as a songwriter probably was on that pretty corny side myself. So I was very critical of other musicians, but I don't know that I was much better. <laughs>
1: Well, you were you were talking about your earlier work and, and before this album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. And I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what was the concept behind that album and how you executed it.
0: Uh, the album was called Basement Psalms. Uh, that was actually a live album. I wanted to do something that could just show what I do live. I don't have the budget to travel with a band. And so what I've often done is I take a loop machine and I'll take my acoustic guitar I'll tap on the guitar, make drum sounds, and record that live while I'm playing, or maybe I'll sing some harmonies into the guitar, a little bit like what Phil Kagi does, only I'm not nearly as good as Phil Kagi on guitar. Uh, but I wanted to do like a full concert. It felt very ambitious to me to write all the songs and have all the songs be from the book of Psalms, and there are five sections in the book of Psalms, and I wrote two songs from each of the five sections. And did it live in a theater one night, and we did it as um, a, a full – like 4 I think it was four-camera shoot that we had, and we made a DVD out of it, and um, it just became a live album. And some of the songs on there, um, a, a couple of them since I went on to have published and it was sort of my beginnings into the actual Christian like music publishing world of actually having songs on a professional level that are being used – uh, one of the songs from that album is actually redone on this new album uh, called More Than the Watchman, and it's from Psalm 130, and it it, it has a, a completely different sound than what it sounds like with just me in a theater with my acoustic guitar. Let's take a moment and listen to a selection from that. This is uh, More Than the Watchman,
1: which is a reworking of Psalm 130 from our guest's new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. This is Rick Lee James with More Than the Watchman. That was a selection from Rick Lee James' new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. That was a reworking of Psalm 130, the song that he calls More Than the Watchman. You have been working on this new album, and as you've been doing it in the studio, uh, you've had some support am I correct, from LifeWay Christian Resources?
0: Uh, LifeWay Worship, actually. That's the, the worship music arm of LifeWay. LifeWay is a huge organization with a lot of uh, different arms, I guess I would say. Um, yes, and just uh, to tell the story quickly, I wanted to make this new album, and I wanted it to be all congregational music. And by that, I mean not that it could only be used in a congregational sense, I wanted it to be just as enjoyable if you're driving in your car or running or doing any activity you might do when you listen to music. But I really wanted each song to be accessible and usable by congregations because that's so much of what I do. And so a lot of these songs actually were sort of worked out in my home church and in our congregation at First Church of the Nazarene in Springfield, Ohio. And so this album, um, I actually had the producer – First, I was supposed to record locally in Springfield at a studio and that just fell through for various reasons. There was some scheduling problems and I went to social media and I said, hey, anybody know of a studio in Nashville that I could use? I'd love to just get back there. I used to live in Nashville and it would be great to go in and try to go in and – I assumed I would be recording it like I have other albums of mine where I played all the instruments myself and sang all the vocals just because budgetary reasons and and time. And Craig Adams uh, from Lifeway Worship, uh, who is the – I believe his his title, I'm going to mess it up, head of A&R and uh, Creative Development for Lifeway Worship – he had published a couple of my songs before through Lifeway, and so without hearing the songs on the album, uh, he agreed to be the producer of the project. And I started doing, uh, you know, fundraising uh, through GoFundMe.com. Uh, but it was it was going to be a much bigger budget than I had ever done before because Craig is a Dove Award-winning producer, and he works with the best. And so I wanted to make a really strong, uh, quality album, and it was just going to take a lot of money. About a month went by. I was getting discouraged. I even did a little fundraiser concert, and I needed about 1000 to get started, and I only made about $90 that night at the concert. And uh, the day after that, that fundraiser, I don't think Craig knew about this fundraiser happening, but he called me and said, we really like these songs. I've had a chance to listen to them all now. And LifeWay would like to own the publishing on these. So what if you give gave us what you've raised? We'll use that. We'll secure the studio space and the musicians, and then we will help you by getting the album made. We'll use the tracks for our purposes, and you can use the tracks for yours and do your own version of the things, and then we'll use them for ours as well. And we also would like to publish sheet music and and audio tracks for people to use in their churches and i remember hanging up the phone and and almost speechless just going to my wife and saying i can't believe this we're going to we're going to make like a big budget real radio ready album <laughs> and it turns out that's what we did i got to work with some of the uh the best musicians literally the best musicians in the world um people that i had been watching for years as musicians behind the scenes grammy winning musicians that I never thought I'd be able to work with. And I had a chance to have them play on the record. It was just beyond a dream come true. Uh, Craig Adams is a wonderful producer. He did an amazing job with these songs. And uh, I got to be one of the team players instead of the one doing everything. And so I would come in. There's some songs that I just – Play a guitar solo on, and and then I sing, and the other musicians who are incredible fill the whole record in. They just did an amazing job. So.
1: Well, I think that there's a misconception a lot of times that um, that the way that someone goes to musical success is they just strap on a guitar, they show up somewhere, they sing a couple songs, strum a couple of, of <laughs> notes, and then the the doors open to them. Uh, there's a there's a story that Frank Sinatra, you know, one day he 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 saw a record producer come into the restaurant where he was working as a waiter and he throws down his apron, jumps up on the table and sings, you know, and suddenly he's signed and he becomes <laughs> Frank Sinatra. But it doesn't work that way, does it? No. Okay, so... Not in my experience. <laughs> so help for, for those that, that think that they may want to someday uh, become a touring singer-songwriter... What sort of time frame are we talking about? What is what is the process and, and 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 what is the frustration that you have to deal with?
0: Well, I wish I could give you a time frame. I think it happens differently for many people. I think you have to learn and grow as an artist and as a writer. And If you're a writer and that's your thing, some people are just incredible singers and they're very good at that. Um, time frame, give yourself a lot of time, I would say. It's increasingly harder because – you know most people only want at least in the industry it seems like if if you're you know over 20 you're almost too old and i'm pushing 40 at this point so um i'm really too old uh, at this point but i've been working to do something like this um for probably most of my adult life but really seriously over the last 7 years i would say where i um i actually went and resigned at my church because i wanted to try to strike out and do things in music And thankfully, they were uh, wonderful enough and said, you know, how can we help you? Because we don't want to leave you without a lifeline, without a church family. Um, So my church has been wonderful to me, um, helping me do this, actually. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I started experiencing some success on the side of actually getting some songs published. I'm still an independent artist, um, so there's still, you know, I have to do all my own footwork by myself. But it's so nice to be able to uh, say, hey, if you like this song uh, and, and you, you think your church could use it, LifeWayWorship.com uh, is a, a place you can go to. You can just download the music right there if you're wanting tracks for your band to play along with or something for you to sing along with. Uh, so that's really exciting for me. That's that's new to me. And so there's some new opportunities that have been created um, as a result of working with quality people like Lifeway." So I'd say give yourself as much time as you need and learn all you can uh just don't ever stop learning as a musician as a writer and and seek to learn more um don't don't give up especially if you're if you're feeling two things maybe that you're feeling there's a calling in some way for you but also that you're being affirmed by people around you there are a lot of people that are not particularly gifted in music that have been given encouragement by kind people, but overall, you know, it's kind of like, I'd rather not go hear that guy, you know, again, um, maybe for those people it's not the best decision to stop and and do only music. But if you're continually being affirmed both by God and others, um, I think that's a help. There are some people though that make an art that no one appreciates in their time and um, there are people that I, – I think even now, years after his death, his death, we're only now discovering what a brilliant writer Rich Mullins was in his time and what an incredible lyricist he was. And he definitely had success in his time, but I feel like there's not a musician around today, at least in the Christian music business, that wouldn't go like, wow, he's my influence. Like that's how I want to write. That's what I want to learn. So I don't even think he was as appreciated in his time as he is now. So – Who knows? I wish I had, like, an easy answer to give, but I don't. If
1: you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a professional singer, songwriter, speaker, and worship leader. He's also the host of Voices in My Head podcast. We'll be back in a moment. Each week we hear from listeners like you who write in to tell us that they love the show, and a lot of you ask us what you can do to help support us. Well, first of all, thank you for listening. The number one thing you can do to help support us is to tell your friends about the show. That word of mouth is so incredibly important. And if you listen to us through iTunes, there's a second thing you can do. They give you the means to give reviews to the show, and it would be fantastic if you took a moment to write a review for us. I hear five stars are very popular. You can also give us money. Earlier in the show, I mentioned that we work with the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. So many good things come from that partnership, but one of the best by far is that your donations are tax deductible. You can find out more about supporting us at our website, thingsnotseenradio.com, and at csec.org, the website for the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. Thank you for your support, and thank you, as always, for listening. We really do appreciate it. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a professional singer, songwriter, speaker, and worship leader. He's also the host of Voices in My Head podcast. So you host a podcast. I wonder uh, if you would not mind shifting gears here and talking a little bit about how you got into the podcast arena and and sort of what you've What you've enjoyed about that.
0: I started doing a podcast as a way that I hoped would help my music um, because I I had gotten into podcasts personally listening to a lot of shows. I have a lot of different interests, um, and so I thought, man, that would be fun to just sort of share some of my thoughts. I think I have a few good things to share. So my podcast started out literally with me at a computer in our computer room with a fairly cheap microphone. Uh, and I just I – w- I don't want to say it was like sermonettes or anything, but it was sort of uh, talking and trying to figure out – some of those early shows are probably pretty rough that I was was doing. But after I think it was my third or fourth episode, I started having guests on, and I started feeling like that was a little more where I was at home, was talking with artists that interest me. So I had musicians on. I think it was – within the first 10 episodes i was able to have michael card on my podcast and that was a wonderful boost for the show actually because he was uh, writing a book on mark that was just about to come out and uh, i had studied mark in college and so i was like oh i can have a good like you know the actual theological conversation with michael card it doesn't just have to be music uh, that led to me uh, making contact with some of his favorite artists. He said on the show that some of his favorites were Andrew Peterson and Sarah Groves, and I was a fan of their music anyway. I started writing to people who work with them and and saying, hey, I just had Michael Card on my show, and he said that his favorite artists were you know, Andrew Peterson, Sarah Groves, people like that. And gradually, I started building relationships with other artists, and they started, you know, agreeing to come and be on my podcast, which I, I was just, you know, out of this world excited that some of my favorite writers and musicians would come on and um, started working into authors and, and pastors, people like Brian Zahn, who, you know, he's kind of a big name right now in the evangelical world. Um, I've had authors like uh, – most of your listeners are probably familiar with Rambo, the Sylvester Stallone character. Um, the original writer of that book, David Murrell, uh he was a college professor, and he wrote First Blood as sort of a case study of uh, – they may not have known what to call it, but it was PTSD. And so after reading the novel, I had known about the movies Rambo and all, but the novel was a very interesting um, – idea of the – really like you don't know who's the hero and who's the bad guy in that story because you're coming at this person who has been terribly affected by the war. And so we ended up having conversations like that with authors and and, a lot of ministers will come on the show or sometimes friends of mine, sometimes people I haven't met. Um, a former teacher of yours, Walter Brueggemann, agreed, and I went down to near where he lives, and we sat in his church in the library and did a podcast. Had a wonderful time, and uh, and it's it's taken me to meet a lot of interesting people, and, and I, I have just loved it. I've cherished the time, and, uh, and even today as a fellow podcaster sitting here talking with you, it's just uh, one of the real treats of my life to get to do stuff like this.
1: Well, as you've been learning how to do podcasting, I I wonder how your time spent as a musician has helped or not helped. Uh, in terms of of getting off the ground as a podcaster are they are they pulling on similar muscles or different muscles kind of how do those two things fit together
0: uh, I think very different muscles uh, because it's so conversational in one way or another but many of the guests that I've had on I've gone on to do co writing with so if I've had an artist uh, Andrew Greer is a good example the new album uh, we wrote a song together called the invitation which is the last song on the album. And Andrew Greer is a very talented musician out of Nashville, and uh, he's touring all the time with a a lot of uh, people, and he's a a pretty big name himself in the music industry right now as far as Christian music goes. And um, that was a result of him coming on the show and being a guest, and we kind of struck up a friendship and did some co-writing, and uh, so the podcast... Uh, it influences the music, but it's not the same thing as music, but it's the relationships I think that have helped so much through that with the music side of things to be honest
1: All this opens up just a portion of the conversation that I find fascinating, and that is it's the twenty first century the music industry has changed it's really been in the in just the last few years you know after the twenty first century began that we have this new genre of podcasting that that's come about. Ministry is being affected by these seismic shifts Mm -hmm. in terms of publishing, in terms of music, in terms of artistry, in terms of how communication is accessible. And you're standing at a a sort of a focal point of all of these shifts. Mm -hmm. So help us to see what you see. You know, you're a pastor who is in a music industry that's shifting you've just begun podcasting as a way of communicating, and you say that that the podcasting has opened up your ability to sort of interface with artists and work with them. So what are we seeing for the the next few years in the 21st century in terms of kind of where all of these different shifts are taking us?
0: Your guess is probably as good as mine. I wonder that all the time, what this means. Uh, I think that many of the artists that we would consider to be, you know, pretty big names, whether they're authors or singer-songwriters or even pastors. I mean it's weird to say they're celebrity pastors, but there are. Um, It just seems like through social media and everything we have, they're just more accessible than they've ever been before. I don't think people are – I don't think they like maybe a little bit of what we had when I was growing up where it seemed like these celebrities were just untouchable and almost like they weren't like the rest of us. They were on a different plane. I think there's still a little bit of that, but by and large, the the artists and the authors and the people that I meet um, are super personable and they want to have conversations and they want to hang out. And uh, when I was in Nashville recording this project, uh, I, I just, I feel, I felt so loved by these people that I had never met before. And Nashville especially just seems like To me, sort of a big brother town where they're willing to kind of put their arms around you and help you. And uh, even in releasing this album, several of the contacts I made over the podcast, um, I called people who are professionals in the industry and I just said, hey, I've got this album coming out. I don't know what I'm doing to promote this. I, I need help. And there were many people that were just so kind to to just – you know they didn't need to do that at the, where they are in their career now. Some of them – I mean they're doing very well. Um, just that they would take time and, and spend an hour on the phone with me and just talk me through, you know, here's some things that have worked for me. Here's some things that have not. You might try this. You might do that. So I – I hope things continue that way. I love having that dialogue. I'm not a big fan of celebrity, although I probably do get a little starstruck over, you know, if if I was to see a hero or somebody I consider a mentor, I'd probably be just as tongue-tied as anybody else. But in most cases, uh, Walter Rugeman, perfect example, a theologian that is respected around the world, um I, I would have never dreamed I could just say, you know, hey, I'm I'm doing this podcast. Would you have any interest in being a guest? I'd love to talk about your writing and what you've done. And he was just so warm and open to that idea, and I, I, I love that kind of world. I hope it continues, to be honest.
1: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter and speaker and worship leader. His new album is called Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, and he's also the host of the Voices in My Head podcast. As a minister, as a musician, as a as a person who is interpreting Scripture and also uh, creating art of various types, what are some touchstones for you? What keeps you grounded as you're sort of moving through the world? Are there specific mm-hmm. scriptures that you find that you come back to, or specific images or hymns even that 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 uh, that really resonate
0: for you? For me, prayer books have been incredibly helpful, um, and and not just because I use them a lot when I'm writing, because I I feel like the way that we what is it lex orandi, lex Credenda, the rule of uh, The rule of prayer is the rule of faith, and I really believe that. So a lot of my writing, I try to use things like prayer books. This album is a good example of something that came from scriptures, prayer books, hymns. Um, But I'm finding right now, especially we're in – at the time of recording anyway, we're in the season of Lent, and uh, I really try to up my daily prayer practices at that time to where I'm spending – probably close to an hour in prayer every day, not just um, spontaneously, but I'm actually using like liturgies and prayer books and things. And for me, it that side of things has opened up a, a new kind of spirituality for me that just simply sitting has not done before, even with just scripture sometimes. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I'm the kind of person that that needs to be guided, I think. And I think the Holy Spirit has worked very wisely through many people through the years. And so we have things like prayer books, scripture, hymnals. Um, They're supposed to help us learn about God and learn how to pray. And they're much better roadmaps than just me sitting in silence. Although um, someone like St. Patrick that, you know, one of the songs on the album is about – uh, Christ is Lord Christ before me. You have someone like him on the other side of things who was a slave for six years of his life as he was a teenager who came to know the risen Christ in a field tending sheep of his masters and didn't have a church around him, didn't have books. I'm not sure he was even literate at that point, and yet he came away knowing Jesus in such an amazing way. Um, so Maybe the prayer books are my cop-out, too. I don't know. Um, I I need both, I think, in my life. And uh, if I could think of anything that grounds me, uh, it's probably things like that, though. I try to find a connection with the church. Praying like a Christian is what makes me Christian, just like uh, praying as a Buddhist is what makes a person a Buddhist or a Hindu or Muslim or whatever. If I learn to pray in the way that Christians have taught me to pray... Hopefully it will make me a Christian.
1: (laughs) Now, this leads to a fascinating question because you come from the Nazarene tradition. Are prayer books a part of the Nazarene tradition or is this – I had always been under the impression that the Nazarene tradition was much less liturgical Mm -hmm. and wouldn't necessarily utilize prayer books and things. So is, is this external to your experience as a Nazarene or is this incorporated somehow into your experience as a Nazarene?
0: You know, I think I've gotten it through the Church of the Nazarene, but probably more by way of our universities. Uh, because, you know, one thing I remember definitely, uh, Treveca University, where I went, is a Nazarene uh, school. And uh, I remember it being a revelation to me that John Wesley used the Book of Common Prayer as a regular prayer practice. And I thought, well, I need to do that, you know, I've got to find that. And then what I found was this richness that I, I was used to more spontaneous uh prayers in church. And what I found in these prayer books was like, Wow, this could teach me how to pray, you know. <laughs> and I'm and I'm almost to the point now, I, I don't know that this is by and large over the Church of the Nazarene, although there's a group of us called Sacramental Nazarenes and we have a group on Facebook and I think a lot of us would like to lean more that way. But I don't know that we're we're ready to put up a wall and say it has to be this way, Um, but I think we're very comfortable with that. And I think uh, other – outside of the denomination too in the Nazarene church, um, even though that's not something that I learned in the Nazarene church, in churches, um, outside of the Nazarene church, I'm finding that other evangelical denominations are finding the same way, that they're losing their young people. If they're not willing to become more liturgical and more sacramental, which is very fascinating to me because we were always trying to be the most uh, popular and contemporary growing up. And what can we do to be cool? And now it's it's like if you want to reach millennials, especially stop trying to reach millennials and be the church. you know. So I'm seeing that shift happening in the church of the Nazarene. I don't know how fast it's going to happen. And I don't know if it happens without the church splitting in some way too, which would be a tragedy to me. But I I think there's a lot of suspicion in the Nazarene church by some that have grown up in a much more spontaneous type atmosphere that is fearful of that. And, And yet I think it's not going away.
1: You've just released this album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. Take us a year ahead, three years ahead, five years ahead. Where are you going, and what is developing? I mean, what do you see as you as you look out from from this moment?
0: Wow, that's a tough question. I wish I knew um literally at the time of recording it today is the day the album came out, so I'm just trying to uh think on that i'm I'm to be honest, I'm kind of exhausted in all that's gone into getting ready for the release. Um I hope that I'll just continue to be making more and more albums in this vein, I hope. Um I haven't done really an album of worship music for the church until this album, and I feel like this is where I'm kind of discovering what I'm good at uh, is is with this type of music. It's it's a shame that it took me so long to realize that I'm not just a coffee house singer, but I actually am uh I th- I think more gifted in helping congregations and groups of people sing. Um, so I, I don't know where I go. I'll tell you the answer that I tell people when they used to ask me when I was a youth pastor, are you ever going to be a real pastor one day? <laughs> Meaning, are you going to be a senior pastor? You know, They didn't mean any offense by it. It's just the question that was often asked. And I would say, I don't know where God's going to take me. Uh, I have no idea. And I guess that would still be my answer. I've I've tried to never tell God I'm going to do this and only this. And so if the Lord takes me a direction away from music, I just want to be faithful to that, um, although I hope he doesn't because I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Uh, three years from now, who knows? I hope, I hope I'm hope i serving God as closely as I can. I hope I'm still walking on that journey, um, and I hope um, – I hope I'm obedient. Let's put it that way. Three years from now, God, please help me be obedient and wherever you take me.
1: (laughs) Well, Rick Lee James, I've really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I thank you for taking the time today, and good luck with with the release of the new album.
0: Thank you very much. It's been a real thrill. Thank you.
1: We've been speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a professional singer, songwriter, speaker, and worship leader. He's also the host of Voices in My Head podcast, where he has recorded guests such as Jason Gray, Andrew Peterson, All Sons and Daughters, Sarah Groves, Michael Card, Walter Brueggemann, and many more. Rick has also been a contributor to Worship Leader Magazine and has had a number of songs published by Lifeway Worship, including I Will Lift Up My Eyes, an Advent hymn. We've been talking about his new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. You can find out more about his podcast, his music, and the work that he does on our website. ThingsNotSeenRadio.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media LLC with the support of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. You can find out more about the Chicago Sunday Evening Club at their website, csec.org. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. David Dalt engineered the show. Kim Tran and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badnock. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer, and Terry Brackney is our office manager. You can follow us on Twitter at NotSeenRadio.